Amen. You may be seated. Thank you, praise team. I invite you to take your Bible and turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and it's the last Sunday of the month, and so we are continuing our emphasis on prayer. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and we want to look at verses 14 through 18. Just as a section, we want to read the context and the verse we're going to focus on specifically within the context. But 1 Thessalonians 5 is Paul's conclusion to the entire letter. He's closing out with some commands, some exhortations to the church there. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, beginning in verse 14. I love that sound, by the way. That's the sound of a church set. It's going to dive into the scriptures. First Thessalonians 5, beginning of verse 14, Paul says, And we exhort you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle, comfort the discouraged, help the weak, be patient with everyone, See to it that no one repays evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good for one another and for all. So right on the heels of pursuing what is good for you and for others, he says, rejoice always. And verse 17, pray constantly. And verse 18, give thanks in everything, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So not only is it good for you, it's good for everyone else, but it is the will of God in Christ Jesus, 1 Thessalonians 5.17, that you pray constantly, that you pray constantly. If it were easy, everyone would be doing it, right? Have you ever heard that expression? If it were easy, everyone would be doing it. We understand that, and we understand that statement means that if, if something is supremely and superbly easy... Uh, then many people can pick it up. It, it should not be difficult. That's why people have specialties and specializations in their careers. But does that statement hold true for prayer? Prayer is easy, isn't it? The concept is easy. Prayer, if we define it at the, at the most basic level as talking to God, some of you find talking very easy. <laughs> Prayer, you sit or stand and talk. You, you do that in the kitchen at home. You do that in the living room at home. You, you do that at work. What could be so hard about prayer? Since it's so easy, we all are doing it, right? It's not, it's not like theoretical physics here. I was reading a, a book, speaking of physics, by the renowned physicist Richard Feynman. He has a couple of books, and um, let me preface this by saying it was kind of a biography. It wasn't like actually about physics. I'm not that smart. But he has a, a, an incredibly interesting life, and there are moments as you're reading where he talks about why 
this discovery he made or this thing that happened was so groundbreaking. Or, and he starts getting into the math and the physics of it. And honestly, I just skip to see how long it's going to take till that section's over. And then I get to the point of the story. Uh, it, it, it goes over my head. Prayer is not like that. But it's a funny thing. Prayer seems so simple. But if we change the statement a bit, when it comes to prayer, we might say, since it is so easy, everyone should be doing it. If prayer, since it's so easy, everyone should be doing it. And does that characterize you in your prayer life? Does that characterize me in my prayer life? Does that characterize our church? You hear a sermon about prayer. Some words, when you hear a sermon is going to be about something, some words just do something to you. Moist. Yeah, some people don't like that word. It makes their blood curdle. Some people don't like the word curdle. Curdle and moist. Moist and curdle. They don't like that word. Those words. Now, if you have a moist cake that curdles... Let me ask you, what's your initial reaction when you, when you know we're going to do a, a sermon on, on prayer? Do you have a reaction to the word prayer? Are, are you here this morning wishing you, you wore your spiritual steel toe boots? Because you know, this is going to be one of those sermons. I'm going to walk out feeling like garbage. I'm not going to feel great at the end of the sermon. This morning, for us believers in the room, I want us to, to, to go ahead. Let's, let's, let's go ahead and all admit we don't pray like we should. We don't pray as often as we should. We don't pray as we should. And so I think it would be good for us then to examine. If it's so simple that we should be doing it, and we know we don't, we don't do it the way we ought to as often as we ought to, I think it's good for us to, to think about and, and look at, at some of the reasons why we don't. And so this morning, I want us to talk about hindrances to prayer. What hinders prayer? And this morning is going to be a little bit different because instead of taking just one text and making one application, I, I want us to hunker down and talk about some of the, the most common ways that our, that we're, our prayers are hindered. And, and I mean that in two senses. We're going to talk about hindrances to answer prayer. So what hinders our prayers from being answered? But then also hindrances to the act of prayer. What, what are things that keep us from praying that, that hinder the act of prayer? And so we're going to talk about the hindrances to answered prayer and the hindrances to the act of prayer. But I don't want you to leave here thinking that those two aren't connected. The, the, the distinction that we're making this morning is not as sharp as it sounds, that these are two separate issues. There's a lot of crisscross. But for the sake of kind of thoroughness, we're going to look at them separately. So let's take those in turn. Paul says, pray constantly. So we know we ought to pray constantly. We know we are to have a habit of prayer. And if we are doing that, we might see some hindrances to answered prayer. Why are our prayers not answered? And this morning, I want to suggest two hindrances to answered prayer. The first is we ask with wrong motives. We ask with wrong motives. James chapter 4, verse 3. James says, you ask and don't receive because you ask with wrong motives. 
you ask so that you may spend it on your own pleasures. So James says one of the reasons our prayers are not answered is because we're asking for selfish desires. We're asking for something to spend on ourselves. We're using God as, as one of those candy machines. We put our quarter in, we twist the knob, and we want to get out whatever we want out. Now, James says you don't receive because you asked with wrong motives. But what about mixed motives? We might, but let's be honest, we, we, some of us were sensible enough to know when we might be praying selfishly, and we know we shouldn't do that. But do you ever not ask for something because you realize you have mixed motives? You want to ask for something that, that you need, but you also really want? And you pause for a second and you say, I, I can't pray for that because there's a little bit of mixed motives well, let me ask you something. Can, do you think you pray pure prayers any other time? So this idea of mixed motives. Can you, should we pray prayers if we feel that there's a bit of a mixed motive? I would say the answer is yes. Because we don't pray pure prayers. We're sinners. We have mixed motives. We, there may be good reasons for why we're praying. But let us not cease from praying for something because we have a little bit of mixed motives. God is able to honor the good motive behind your prayer. The Spirit of God is able to take that and use it. But we ask sometimes with wrong motives, and that's why we don't get an answer. But there's a second reason why our prayers are hindered or not answered, and that is because we ask outside of God's will. We ask for something outside of God's will. And sometimes this is unintentional. It's, it's not that you're willingly... You, you, so have you ever prayed for a job that you were up for and you said, Lord, please, it, you know, if it's your will, help me get this job, right? And then you don't get the job, right? So the Lord has not willed that you get that job and you were asking for that. that that's an unanswered prayer in the sense you were asking for something. God gave you an answer, right? He said, no. But there's an unintentional sense, but then there's also the intentional, right? That's like praying, God, will you help me succeed in cheating on this test? God, will you help me succeed in hiding this crime or this, this uh, affair, this issue from being found out? Something that goes against Scripture. When we pray for things that are contrary to the Word of God, we're praying outside of God's will, and we should not expect for those prayers to be answered. So what's the solution? If, if, if we, we pray with wrong motives and we don't see our prayers answered, and sometimes we ask outside of God's will intentionally or unintentionally, what is the solution? My solution, I'd suggest to you, is this. Scripture-soaked prayers from a Savior-smitten heart. Scripture-soaked prayers from a Savior-smitten heart. Heart. Now stop right there and listen to me. Don't make this about you. When I say a scripture-soaked prayer from a Savior-smitten heart, that immediately tells you that you cannot fix this. The solution is outside of yourself because what you need is a heart that loves Scripture, that loves the Savior that the Scriptures reveal. 
So we ask with wrong motives because we're sinners. We ask outside of God's will because we don't know it perfectly. Why? Because we're sinners. So the hope that we have is that something outside of us, the only hope for scripture-soaked prayers from a Savior-smitten heart is if the Savior himself gives you a new heart, a new love for him, a new love for his word. And that's why it's such good news that Jesus Christ does this for us, that God is so gracious to us that he makes it possible that we have a heart that knows and delights in his word, that knows and delights in him so that as we walk this walk, our motives are purified, our understanding of God's will grows and mature, and we begin to see our prayers answered. God is, is so gracious to us. Here's a little secret. Even if you pray with mixed motives and you pray outside of God's will unintentionally, if you pray wrongly, you still have an assurance. Romans 8.26. What does Paul say? The Spirit of God helps us in our weakness because we do not know what to pray for as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with unspoken groanings. So even with, with Scripture smitten scripture soaked savior smitten prayers that comes from a heart that loves jesus and loves his word even when you don't pray as you ought paul says the spirit of god is interceding for you the, the spirit of god is it's like it's like in genesis 1 the act of creation right in the beginning god created the heavens and the earth and the earth is what formless and void the spirit hovers of the face of the waters. When you're praying, the Spirit hovers over the face of the waters of your chaotic, vain, formless, and void prayers. They may be empty. The, your prayers might be darkness covering the surface of watery depths, but the Spirit is there hovering over the surface. And what do you see in Genesis? Is God, the Spirit, the, the triune God takes this this primordial chaos and he shapes it into life-giving, sustaining creation. He shapes it and he uses it for what it should be used for. So if the Spirit can do that with the cosmos, can he not do that with your prayers? Absolutely. Absolutely. So the hope that we might have answered prayer does not come from us. I want you to see that. Your hope for answered prayer comes because you need to pray according to God's will. You need to know what to pray and how to pray. And God gives that in his word. But you wouldn't love that word. You wouldn't love that truth unless God did a work in your heart so that you love Jesus and love his word. And now you pray more and more in accordance with that. And you start to see your prayers answered. So your hope of answered prayer is Jesus. So those are the hindrances to answered prayer. Let's talk about the hindrances to the act of prayer. What keeps us from praying? I want to suggest seven, seven hindrances to the act of prayer. They're in no particular order. And again, even within this, this subsection, they are not separate. A lot of these will connect on different levels. But let's start with number one, pride. Pride. One of the greatest Hindrances to prayer is our pride. It's a pride that cherishes 
independence. Pride is the ultimate act of dependence. To cry out to God, to speak, to verbalize, to say God, to cry out to Him is the most basic admission of dependence. That's why if it's, I think it's safe to say for most of us, we're more likely to pray when things are going badly, right? Because we realize just how dependent we are. So there's a dependence versus independence. Sometimes we don't pray because we want to have the control. We want to be independent. We don't want to be reliant. But then there's also confidence. Confidence. Sometimes we don't pray because we're overconfident. Maybe we're overconfident in our wisdom. I know how to handle this. I've been through this before. I've seen this a million times. I don't need to pray. Perhaps we're overconfident in our abilities. I've done this. I've made this a million times. I know the blueprints without even having to look at them, said no man ever. But we, we're overconfident in our abilities or we're overconfident in our resources. read a story not too long ago about a man who was teaching, he's doing a conference on teaching pastors on how to pray and, and institute a life and, you know, nourish a life of prayer within the church. And he asked the pastors in this, this conference, you know, draw up a plan for, for getting your people to pray. And out of, I forget how many pastors, 50 over 100, almost none of them said to actually pray. Pr- prayer in their plan for developing prayer in their church was absent. I, I think one of the blessings when God withholds resources that we might be seeking, when he withholds that which we might say, God, you know what, at, at Poplar Spring, you know what would make things easier? God, is if you could just, if we could just have more giving, more tithing, more money, more people, more, 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 so that we could do these other things. The, the flip side of that is there might be a danger that we rely less and less on the power of prayer. So there's independence and then there's confidence. So what's the solution to that? The solution to pride is a humble heart. A humble heart. Listen to what Peter says in 1 Peter 5, verses 6 and 7. It's in the context of prayer. He says, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God so that he may exalt you at the proper time. Listen, casting all your cares on him because he cares for you. There's humility connected to prayer. And sometimes we don't pray because we're too prideful. So that's number one. That's the first hindrance. What's the second one? Is everybody doing okay so far? It's just going to get worse. Number two, busyness. Busyness. Now here, I want to distinguish between unintentional and intentional busyness. Sometimes life just gets crazy. Listen, I understand. Really, I do. I'll just let you in on a little secret. Almost every night, me and my family, we, get, we sit in the living room, we read the Bible, we pray, we talk. But some nights, we're out late, it's 10 o'clock, they're tired, I'm tired. We just go to bed. That's okay. 
That's okay. What I'm not talking about is when there are situations that are truly outside of your control, if you feel a guilt, if, if you're having to deal with an ailing parent and you're up or, or a baby and you're up for four hours in the night, by no means feel guilty when you don't get up at 5.30 a.m. for your hour quiet time. That, that's a legalism that's crushing. So there's unintentional busyness. But then there's intentional busyness. There's the busyness where we really just are too busy. We're too busy to pray. We either get up and we're off to make the next dollar. We're off to do something else. Or we're out late. We're doing, we're doing all sorts of things. But we're, we're too busy. Contrast that to what, what is the solution? How do, we, how do we get over this busyness Well, the solution is kingdom priorities, that the kingdom is a priority. Listen to what Paul says in Colossians 1.18. He says, Jesus is the firstborn from the dead so that he might come to have first place in everything. Jesus Christ is first place and he ought to have first place in all things, including your schedule and your busyness. So let me just say this. If your schedule is so busy, you don't have time to pray. If busyness is keeping you from God's business, you're too busy. You're too busy. So we let busyness fill in whatever gap we might be trying to fill, but we let busyness keep us away from from the work of prayer. So that's the second hindrance. Let's talk about the third one, distraction distraction. Now here, there's two types of distraction we could focus on. Number one is technology. Number two is entertainment. Neil Postman, in his book, Amusing Ourselves to Death, he also has another book called Technopoly. There's another book called The Shallows by Nick Carr that I recommend to you that talks about how technology and entertainment vie and compete for your attention. You realize that entertainment, social media, those things are designed to keep you on the platform. They are not neutral. They are designed to train your brain to want it the first thing in the morning, to want it anytime you have a spare moment. It is a con- when, when you're scrolling through those, the, those feeds or whatever, every time you refresh that feed, your brain gets a dopamine hit. It's addicting for a reason. They want you enslaved to the platform. So technology is one thing. You know, you think about, think about how much time you are on a, on a device or, or watching television or watching movies or TV shows or reading a book. Trust me, I, I understand. I love movies. I love, I, I, I love keeping up what's going on in the world. I love reading a good book. But there are those times when I realize what I'm doing is, is I'm trying to do something that I would rather do instead of spending time in prayer. So what's the solution to distraction? It's proper treasures. Proper treasures. Matthew 6, 19 and 21 
Jesus says, do not store up treasures for yourselves, but store up treasures in heaven. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So let me ask you, what does your heart reach for first thing in the morning? The answer to that question is very simple. What does your hand reach for first thing in the morning? That will tell you what your treasure is. So distraction Things keep us distracted from praying. We're, we're so scatterbrained that we, we don't focus. But then there's a, there's a fourth hindrance to prayer. So we've talked about pride, busyness, distraction. Let's talk about motivation. One of the hindrances to prayer is we have the wrong motivation about prayer. And th- this shows up really in two ways. One way is we pray to make God love us or to keep God loving us. We, we view prayer as... We've got to keep dad happy because if, if we don't, he might go into a rage. All right? Have you ever known a relationship that flourished under that dynamic? So sometimes we feel like we have to pray because we're trying to keep God's love and affection on us. That we're trying to, to make sure that God stays pleased with us. Or... We pray or we don't pray because we're trying to fake our duty or force our delight. We, sometimes when we treat prayer like a duty, like, like something that, that, that we have to show up for, like we're being roll called in elementary school, like, like we're taking this, we're forcing ourselves to do something that we know we we don't want to do when we view prayer as as that kind of duty and not as a delight then no it's no wonder we won't find it's no wonder we find ourselves not praying like we should think of it this way you know it's something that's a duty that many people avoid doing going to the doctor Going to the dentist. Now let's talk about going to the dentist for a minute. I do not like going to the dentist. But it is a duty. And it's the kind of duty that I never, ever, ever look forward to going to the dentist. If that's how we understand prayer, then it's no wonder we never find ourselves looking forward to prayer looking forward to spending time with the Lord. So what's the solution to this motivation? If it's not, now now I'm not saying that that prayer is not a duty. God commands us to pray. It is something that we ought to do. There is an oughtness about it. We've talked about that before. But it's also a delight. It's not really an either and, uh, or an either or. So what am I talking about? I'm talking about delight-infused duty. There are some things that you should do and ought to do that you enjoy, right? There are some things, some of us men, right, we know we ought to mow our lawn. And for some of us, we find great joy in it. It's a delight-infused duty. That's the solution to our motivation to prayer. Yes, it's a duty, but it's, a, it's something, a duty that we delight in, that, that we get invited to come. So what's the solution to our motivation when we have the wrong motivation? It's a delight-infused 
duty. So let's talk about the fifth one, making our way through. The fifth hindrance to the act of prayer, doubt. Doubt. Sometimes we don't pray because we're struggling with doubt. Sometimes we doubt God's promises. In which case we need to trust his word. Sometimes we don't pray because we doubt his goodness. In which we need to trust his character. There are times when we doubt his love. And we can look to the cross. We doubt, maybe we doubt the power of prayer itself. But the power of prayer has the power of God behind it. Prayer is how God dispenses with the riches that he promises to his people. Sometimes we doubt that God hears us. You've ever heard the expression, I feel like my prayers are bouncing off the ceiling? Can I let you in on a little secret? That's never true. For a believer, never, ever is that true. But we might wrestle with doubt. We might wrestle with doubt. Doubting, does prayer even make a difference? If God is sovereign, why pray? If God is in control of all things, why pray? Can my prayer make any lasting difference in the world? All of those doubts. To that we would say again, I would say Romans 8.26. The Spirit helps us in our weakness and He intercedes with us, for us with unspoken Groaning. So even when you doubt, bring your doubts before the Lord. Bring your doubts. Handle your doubts not apart from God, but handle them in the presence of God. And so here, what's the solution to doubt being a hindrance to prayer? What I'm not saying is it's have no doubt. What I'm saying the solution is trusting faith. Trusting faith that says, I have these questions, but I also know the one to whom I'm praying. I know the promises that he has made. I know what his word says. So maybe you struggle with prayer because you, you, you struggle with the doubt that prayer makes a difference or that God hears your prayers. Trust that God has given us prayer for our good, for our benefit, for us to be with him, to commune with him, and so that he we know that he hears us. Let's go to the next one, number six. Perhaps a hindrance to prayer or something that keeps us from praying is the silence. The silence. Andrew Peterson, we just sang one of his songs, Is He Worthy? Great musician, great song. I love that song. He has another one called The Silence of God. And he has this this stanza, and listen to this. He says, it's enough to drive a man crazy. It'll break a man's faith. It's enough to make him wonder if he's ever been sane. When he's bleeding for comfort from thy staff and thy rod. And the heaven's only answer is the silence of God. Bleating. Not bleeding. Bleating like a sheep. When the sheep bleats and is asking for comfort from the shepherd, the staff and the rod in heaven's only answer is the silence of God. I, I think a good, a good majority of my prayer life, I, I don't hear God speaking audibly when I pray. 
a lot of times it does feel like a monologue. It feels like there's not a conversation taking place. And I understand how that could make you feel like prayer doesn't do anything or that prayer is not important. Maybe you don't pray because the silence seems to be an indication that God is not listening. Or maybe the silence makes you think you're doing it wrong. Like if I was doing prayer right, it would be like I've been transported into heaven and I would see, you know, angels and, and there would be, I would hear heart music. And, and every time I come to, come to prayer, it would be like a revival is breaking out. Now, that may happen on occasion. But I think ordinary faithful prayer has a lot of silence in it. A lot of silence, even on our end and sometimes on God's end. First of all, when we say God is silent in prayer, let's not ignore the fact that God has spoken in his word. If we want to hear God speak to us in prayer, pray scripture. Read scripture while you're praying. But sometimes we, we feel like, why pray? Because it's not this rend the heavens and come down type experience. So what's the, what's the solution for this, this silence? I, I would say it's spiritual endurance. Spiritual endurance. A, a spiritual endurance that, that is able to, to endure the silence. Endure the silence. And I want to say this. The reason you endure the silence is because you know that silence is not an indication of absence. That's what we do sometimes, isn't it? We say that I don't hear God in my prayer times, so he must be absent. But you know that's not true. And you know that's not true even with other people. Sometimes Don and I will go on a date. And we'll be riding in the car. And, it, and we don't talk a lot. Number one, it's because sometimes I just want to give her a quiet car ride. Right? But there's no question that because we're talking, I'm not driving and then I go, Oh my, I forgot you were here. <laughs> Silence is not an indication of absence. And so the solution is to understand that and endure the silence, believing that God is still there, even if it is silent. A spiritual endurance helps us to persevere through that silence so these are seven hindrances to prayer seven hindrances to prayer and i've given you seven solutions so let's summarize those solutions if you want to overcome hindrance to prayer not praying as much as you should as you should it's really quite simple you must have a humble heart that prioritizes the kingdom Treasures the kingdom above all else as you should. Does that with the proper motivation. All with trusting faith. Perfectly trusting in what God says in his word. Even when it seems like he's absent or silent. And if you don't want any hindrance to prayer to keep you from praying. You need to do all of that perfectly. So. That really brings us to the chief reason for the hindrance of prayer. The, the main issue 
It's not that we should be better prayers. The real reason is very simple. It's a three-letter word, sin. We cannot have a perfectly humble heart. We do not prioritize the kingdom as we should, the kingdom of heaven as we should. We do not treasure it. We do not have the proper motivation. We do not have full, perfect, trusting faith in God and His Word perfectly all the time. So, when it comes to hindrances to prayer, I want you to know, you cannot overcome those hindrances. But God can. And He did. Sin in our life separates us from God. It makes us enemies of God such that we now wrestle with prayer. So the solution we truly need is someone who will overcome those hindrances for us. We need someone who will be perfect in all ways, all days, at all times, who will overcome all these hindrances to prayer. And that's exactly what Jesus Christ did. So what I want you to see this morning is that all these hindrances, as we've gone through all of these areas, and, and maybe you have just sank down further, further, and further, you realize your pride, your ignorance, your doubt, your motivation, your idolatry, all of these things, and you wonder, how, how do I even dig myself up out of this pit? You don't. You are raised out of it. All of your failings with the hindrances to prayer are covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. Jesus comes and he lives a perfect life. He dies on the cross. He pays the penalty for your sin and my sin. And he's buried and he is raised to life again on the third day. So all of your failures at the hindrances are covered by Jesus Christ. In other words, every time you launch out into prayer, Christian, understand this. In Christ, God does not see your failures with the hindrances to prayer. He sees Christ's perfect life. The way is open. The way is open. Is open. Sometimes I wonder if we don't pray because we don't truly handle the guilt that we feel with the lack of our prayers. It's a vicious circle, right? We don't pray, we feel guilty. We know we should pray, we don't feel worthy. So we don't pray, but we know we need to pray, and we just we we circle the bowl all the way down. But then along comes the good news of Jesus Christ, that he took our guilt, he took our shame, he paid for it, he bore it, he suffered for it. So what does this mean? I love how the Swiss Catholic writer, uh, his name is Hans Urs von Balthasar. He puts it this way, saying about Jesus, he wanted to sink so low that in the failure, all falling would be a falling into him. 
He wanted to sink so low that in the failure, all falling would be falling into him. He came and he died for our failures in prayer so that now all your failures in prayer are a falling into him. If your heart has sank through this sermon, and if you're keenly aware of your own failures to pray, if it feels like you've been falling for 30 minutes, what you need to understand is the good news of Jesus Christ, the gospel of Christ's work and righteousness given to you by faith means that you are falling into the hands of a Savior who loves you, who will catch you, and who will raise you. So, Fall into him. Let him be the answer to your prayers. Don't try to dig yourself up out of your prayerlessness, but instead realize that Jesus Christ, through his work and through faith, has brought you out and set you on the straight, smooth, autobahn pathway to prayer. All the hindrances removed and covered. Let him resurrect your desire to pray. In all your failures to pray, you have not so failed as to slip through the grasp of Jesus Christ. He's gracious. He's kind. And here's the most remarkable truth. No matter how many times you have succumbed to the hindrances, no matter how many times you've been overcome by the hindrances, our loving Lord still invites you to pray. So come, come to the Father through Christ the Son by the power of the Holy Spirit. The invitation is for all of us to come. In his book entitled, When God is Silent, John Kostler says it well. In the end, the secret to prayer is not a matter of method or motive. The key to prayer is God himself. If you leave here remembering nothing else, I hope you remember this. Jesus Christ has removed and overcome every hindrance to prayer. So pray. Pray constantly. There is a rich welcome awaiting for you every time you come. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you've never trusted Him for the forgiveness of your sins, what you need is to pray and ask God to forgive you. Jesus Christ loves you. Paul says in Romans 5, 8, God demonstrates His love for us and that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. What you need more than anything is to know that you're a sinner separated from God, but Jesus Christ died in your place so that if you trust in Him, His death, His resurrection, you can have eternal life and you can know God personally, truly, and experience a living relationship with Him. But believer this morning, Understand all the hindrances, all your failures are covered by Jesus Christ. So pray. Pray. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you, God, for your invitation to pray. And God, that you make prayer possible.
Lord, that we can come. Lord, that we can be renewed. We can be assured. God, we can be encouraged that our failures do not prevent us from the joy and the privilege of prayer. Because of Jesus Christ, Lord, we can always come in his name, by his power. And so, Lord, I don't know who, who, who here today needs to hear this. Maybe they've had a week where they think there's no way God would invite me to come into his presence. Oh, there can be nothing further from the truth because you sent your son Jesus to make it possible. Lord, in many ways we failed. Help us to put them in the right perspective, to leave them at the foot of the cross, to see our prayer life resurrected with Jesus Christ. And God, that we'll pray not, not out of guilt, but out of gratitude. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.